It's amazing how many people think that life as we know it will just go on as it is. And yet Jesus tells us that life as we know it here on earth will, in fact, come to an end. There's an expiry date. It's hard to believe that it's hard to believe that Jesus' work and ministry on this earth only spanned three years. No, uh, no human being in the history of the world has done more to change the face of this earth than Christ Himself. In fact, Christianity today is the the greatest, uh, or holds the greatest number of people. Uh, Three years of ministry, and it was an amazing three years. You know, if, you've, if you're familiar with the life of Christ, if you've read your Bible, you know Jesus did incredible miracles. People were raised from the dead. People healed. People delivered of demons. It was reported that Jesus walked on the water, fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fishes. Did amazing things. And the Pharisees are looking at this, and they're hearing reports, and they're trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. What do you do with this, with this teacher? I mean, he's not, he hasn't come right out and said, okay, I'm the Messiah. I'm here to do whatever i got to do. I'm here to take over the God. He's not doing that. All he's doing is doing miracles and teaching and preaching about the kingdom. And so the Pharisees come to him, and they, they're trying to figure out what's going on. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, starting in at verse, uh, we'll, we'll just look at the, the passage from verse uh, 20 to 37. But they come, the, the, the Pharisees come to Jesus, and in case you don't know who the Pharisees are, they're the ruling class who are also the religious leaders of the country. And um, they come and they want to know from Jesus about the coming of this kingdom of God. Now they think, here's here's what they think. They think that when the Messiah establishes the kingdom of God, they believe that that the Romans will be kicked out of Israel and and that the Pharisees would partner with the Messiah in leading, well, first of all, Israel and then all of the world. Amazing. And their question is, what is the sign of the end of the days as we know it? Look what it says in verse 28. And Jesus says this, It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. And then Jesus says these words, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Remember Lot's wife. What, what does Jesus mean by this, and why should we remember Lot's wife? Well, Jesus holds up Lot's wife as an example of what will happen when he returns. And in case you don't know the story, let me just quickly bring you up to speed. It's, uh, it's, it, the, the account can be found in Genesis chapter 19. And 
Abraham's been informed that Sodom is about to be destroyed, Sodom and Gomorrah are about to be destroyed because of the, of the uh, rampant homosexuality and other sexual perversions. These places are going to be destroyed. And Abraham pleads for his nephew Lot. And again, if you, in case you don't remember, Abraham, when he left the homeland of Ur to go to the place God called him to go, Abraham uh, had this, this, this nephew by the name of Lot. That's a strange name, L-O-T, but that's his name, Lot. And Lot says, you know, Uncle Abraham, I want what you've got. I want to experience what you're experiencing. I want to go where you're going. I want what you, what you are experiencing in your life. And so Abraham and Lot leave their homeland and go to the place God has called them to go, to the promised land. And uh, eventually Abraham's household and Lot's household become so big that their servants start fighting amongst each other. And, and finally they've come to the place where they've got to go their separate ways. And so Abraham says, okay, nephew, you decide where do you want to go? What do you what 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 part of the world around here do you want for your own? He said, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go settle amongst the the people of Sodom." And so that's what he does. He takes his his family, he takes his servants, takes his wealth, and goes and settles there. And Abraham goes in the other direction. Now the the wickedness in Sodom and Gomorrah reaches. A point where God says, that's enough. I'm not putting up with this anymore. These places are going to be destroyed. As they're leaving, as they're literally fleeing the city of Sodom, they're warned, don't look back, keep going, don't, don't look back. Lot's wife turns around, we'll call her Mrs. Lot, turns around, and in that moment, turns into what the scripture says is a pillar of salt. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Let this be a lesson for you so that on that day when Jesus returns, you will be ready for his return. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about how you can be absolutely 100% sure that you are ready for Christ's return. Because there's a lot of people Yes, a lot of people, even in church, who think that they're going to be ready when Christ returns. And in fact, they will not be ready. So what do we learn from her? And how can, how can we be ready? Well, first of all, we need to remember our true home. Sodom was Mrs. Lot's home. It's where she raised her daughters, and she hoped that she could find a good husband for her, for her daughters there. She could not accept that Sodom... Would not, was not fit for God's people. She believed that she should be able to carry on in that place. She did not see the wickedness because it had become her home. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart. She was prepared, listen, to embrace the people, the values, and the practices and ways of Sodom. And this was her fatal mistake. She could not let go of this home called Sodom. And so I'm going to ask you the question this morning. Where's your home? 
for the believer, this world is not our home. When I was growing up, anytime anything bad happened, my grandmother would, would utter a little prayer, and then she would say this, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I heard it, I heard it all the time. Anytime anything bad happened, she'd say, this world is not my home. We're just passing through. And as family members passed away, she would, she would utter these words, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I want to tell you this this morning. The common, denom- the common denominator of all the greatest men and women of faith is their common conviction that this world is not their home. Look what it says there in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13c to 16. And by the way, this is a passage of Scripture everybody should have circled or underlined in their Bible. This is a, one of the key passages of the Scripture. And this is what it says about these great men and women of faith. It says this, They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on this earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left... They would have returned. They would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. These are the verses my grandparents quoted to me all the years I was growing up. This is a reminder that I had my whole life through. This world is not my home. I'm passing through. Don't get too comfortable here. And I would hear my grandmother tell me that. And as, even as she had dementia and maybe a touch of Alzheimer's, she would say it to me over and over and over and over again. Ellen, this world is not your home. You're not getting too comfy here, are you? You're still going to go into the ministry, aren't you? Yes, Grandma, I'm going into the ministry. And then she'd get her purse and say, here's $20 to help you with your, with your ministry. And then 10 minutes go by, Ellen, you're still going into the ministry, right? And then she'd get her purse out. And Grandpa would be sitting there. And I'd have to remind my grandma that she'd already given me $20. Ellen, this world is not your home. You're not getting too comfortable here. Now, I want to tell you this this morning. There's a false sense of security that goes with status quo living when everything goes fine. Jesus points out that at the time that the flood came, the people... In Noah's day, we're eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. There's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus is pointing out that, that you won't be ready for it. It'll just come upon you. His return will just happen like that. You'll be going on with your life, with the status quo living. You won't even be expecting it, and suddenly it'll come upon you. On that day... On that day, no one should, who was on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. You think that you have lots of warning, lots of opportunity, and Jesus says, no, you have none. People will be buying and selling, planting, building, getting married, and then suddenly his return will come. The question this morning is this, will you be ready? And here's the thing, if you remember that this world is not your home, if you are looking for that eternal city, 
If you could say along with my grandparents, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through, then that is the beginning of being prepared for Christ's return. We were all shocked and dismayed by what happened in Haiti these last few weeks. Hollywood stepped up and joined forces to help the Haitians, and we say, great. And some have asked, in the midst of all this, where is God? Well, I'm going to just give you some perspective here, just so that you can recognize that God is there. God didn't disappear. But let's, let's, let's be reminded of this fact. The 2007 U.S. Census Bureau of World Vital Events reports that there is 1.8 deaths every second. There's 105 deaths per minute. At the end of this hour in church this morning, 6,306 people will have died. And by the end of this day, 151,338 people will have died. This month, 4,603,198 people will die and 55,238,376 people will die this year. The number of people that died in Haiti is the number of people that die every day. And so I want to remind you this morning that Jesus never promised that you were going to live till you're 90. What he did promise you is that if you put your faith in him, you would have abundant life. That abundant life is a life free of guilt, free of shame, free of anxiety, a life filled with joy and filled with peace. This is the abundant life for all who put their faith in Christ. And this is what God promises you. God has not promised that you're going to live till you're 90. And we're all shocked and horrified when we see it happens in Haiti. But folks, it's happening every day. And what happened to them in Haiti is very, things very similar could happen to you right here today even. And so you need to remember that God has promised you an abundant life, not necessarily a long life, but it gets better. Not only has he promised you an abundant life here and now, he has promised you eternal life. And this, my friends, is the life that the people of faith were looking forward to, eternal life, life forever with the Master. Abraham chose to be separated from the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. But Lot and his family chose Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, it's really, really hard here in North America to be a Christian. How many know that today? It's hard. It's hard to raise your kids to be Christians in North America. I read a statistic from George Barna that said that after interviewing youth who would soon be graduating from high school, 63% said that once they graduated from high school, they weren't going to go to church anymore. 63% said that when they became adults, when turned 18, they weren't going to church anymore. (laughs) We got a problem on our hands, folks. Because we have people who believe that this world really is their home. And if you're a Christian today, you need to understand this world is not your home. You're passing through. And this is why the Apostle Paul says, if I live or I die, it doesn't really matter because to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
I'm going to be with Jesus. This, uh, this world, with all its sin, with all its problems, with all its pain, it's passing away. It's not our home. We're, we're going to a better place. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that place. I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus. The thing I noticed about my grandparents is that the older they got, the more they got excited about going to see Jesus. And I would hear my grandmother say, and you've heard me say this before, I can hardly wait to go see Jesus. I wish I could go see Jesus today. And I'd say, Grandma, that means you're going to die. And she looked at me with a bewildered look on her face as if, so? But Grandma, that means you're not going to be with me anymore. She said, well, I'll be with Jesus. And I'm going to be with my son, Jack. And I'm going to be with my mother. And I'm going to be with... And she starts listing all these people she's going to be with. Because this world is not her home. I'm going to tell you something. If you're not looking forward to that eternal city, then you're not ready for Christ's return. This, uh, this um, December, big movie came out, Avatar, released December 2009. It has now grossed over, over $1.3 billion worldwide. $1.3 billion dollars. What's the big attraction? It's a computer-generated movie with blue people who are seven feet tall. And you, listen, you look at the commercials on TV and you think, well, what's the big deal? They look like freaks. What's the big attraction? I'll tell you the big attraction is, is that the director, Mr. Cameron, has created a, a race of people who are sweet, who have all of, the, all of the characteristics of what we would believe a Christian would have. And they have created a beautiful world. And then, of course, there's human beings there to make things, to make the world, their world a bad place. Now listen to this. Within a week of Avatar's, the movie Avatar's debut, websites dedicated to the movie were, were filled with comments from people who were lamenting the fact that Avatar's people and places could not be reached in any real way. They were lamenting the fact that they couldn't go to Avatar. Avatar is a fantasy place, people. And yet there's these websites that are up and running, and they're devoted to the Avatar way. In fact, there's an entire thread on a popular forum website, uh, which was called, quote, Ways to cope with the depression of the dream of Pandora being intangible. In other words, ways to cope with the depressing fact that you'll never be able to go to Pandora. Somebody else wrote, when I woke this morning after watching Avatar for the first time yesterday, the world seemed gray. It was like my whole life, everything I've done and worked for, lost its meaning. People, we're talking about a movie, a fantasy movie, not even based on any fact. Another person wrote, this day, the day after I saw Avatar, I was completely depressed. I looked at my hands and thought, what I wouldn't give to live on that world. And so this person says, I go and see it again and again, and it makes me feel good. Cameron depicts an Avatar... What Cameron depicts in Avatar resonates, listen to me, it resonates with that part of every human being that has been created in the image of God. That part of us 
that knows that the sin and the wickedness and the deceit of this world is not what we were created for. And so every human being longs for a better world. Now here's the thing, friends. Our gospel message is the proclamation of a better world. That's what we're about. Proclaiming that there is a better world. Even better than Avatar. Do you hear what I'm saying today? Now, you've got a fantastic witnessing tool at your disposal. Because you can tell those people who are so in love with Avatar that as wonderful as Avatar may be, there's a better world. It's a world that Jesus told us about 2,000 years ago. It's a world waiting for all those who put their faith in Christ. Is this world your home? I'm going to tell you this. You will have a hard time witnessing and sharing Jesus with people if you are addicted to this world, if you've embraced this world. But if this world is not your home, and you can easily and quickly declare to anybody who asks, I'm passing through, I'm going to a better place. Oh, they might, some people might think you're nuts. But there are some who are looking. They're looking. They're looking for good news, the good news of a better place. And I'm telling you today, it's a real place. It's called eternity, eternity with Christ. If you're looking for that true home, your true home with Jesus, then that's the beginning of being prepared. Here's the next thing you need to do is you need to remember who your true master is. Remember who your, where your true home is, and you need to remember who your true master is. Jesus says this. He says, no one, let's read it together. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Mrs. Lot was greatly in love with Sodom. It was, it was a, a cultural hotspot. It was a place where everybody wanted to go, everybody wanted to visit. She loved the security. She loved the affluence. She loved the, the prestige of living in that city. She loved the diversions, the excitement of Sodom. And suddenly, imagine this. Her, her husband comes along. Mr. Lot says to Mrs. Lot, honey, we got to go. And she says, what are you talking about? No, we, we got to go. We got to get out of town like now. And, and Mrs. Lot saying, well, can I at least pack my designer bags and my designer shoes? I've got, I've got gowns on. I've got gowns coming from, from Gucci. I mean, I can't just up and leave. I got to pack my bags. And he says, no, we got to leave. We got to leave everything behind. And she says, where are we going to go? And he says, well, probably somewhere to some little town, maybe, maybe just out to a farm. Now, imagine this. Her hair is coiffed, long fingernails, the, mo- the best gown, best shoes. And she's saying, you want me to leave Sodom and go and live in the country? Anybody remember Green Acres? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. She's saying, you've got to be kidding. And she's torn now. Is she going to follow her husband, who is following the true master, or is she going to follow the impulses of her own heart? You see, she was desperately in love with the wealth and the money and the prestige of Sodom. Sodom, by the way, is very much like North America today. 
Sodom was like, well, doing what Lot says was like leaving Paris, France, and moving up to Selkirk, Manitoba. <laughs> Just didn't compute. Do I really want to go and leave Sodom behind and go and live in a town with a, a huge catfish? <laughs> I don't know. The Eiffel Tower, a catfish. Where would you want to live? And Lot says, we've got to get out of town. We've got to get out now. There's no time to pack anything. We've got to get out of here. She was oblivious to the impending doom. She was so enamored with the God mammon, the God money, that she didn't hear the voice of the God of the universe. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart this morning. Because I'm going to tell you that for Christians in North America, this is our greatest struggle. We love we love our wealth. We love our way of life. And we're not even interested in going to heaven. Oh, some of you, if I said, are you interested in going to heaven? You'd say, uh-huh, yes, pastor, yes, I am. Because you know that's the right answer. That's the one I want to hear. But in your heart, is that really where you are? If you're going to be ready for Christ's return, remember Lot's wife. Who is your true master today? Abraham kept himself separate from the enticements of life in the city. He understood the diversions. He understood the attractions. He understood the lust that was stirred in his heart. And he kept himself away because he knew who his true master was. He knew his calling was to come out from among the world and be separate. Abraham never forgot who his true master was. Lot did, but he got a second chance. Lot's wife, remember Lot's wife? It had been so long, so long since she heard the voice of the master, that the voice of the false master, money, wealth, prestige, attracted her. So she turned around and took a second look, and she was dead. Parents, are you... uh, setting an example for your kids to get their eyes on Jesus, to love Jesus more than life itself, to love Jesus more than the trappings of this world. I read an interesting article about a fellow who said he grew up with parents who insisted that, that whatever he had would be designer, designer label, brand names. He had to, the brand, new, brand name shoes, Clothes, pants, shirt, even underwear. It all had to be brand name. He said one day he realized that he'd become a slave to these brands. And you know what he did? He took everything in his house that had a brand on it and he burnt it. He says, it might sound ridiculous. It might sound spooky, weird. But he said, the moment that I burnt these things with a brand name on it is the moment I became free. Because no longer was I controlled by the things of this world. Interesting. And it started in his childhood. And I'm not suggesting anybody leave here this morning and go burn your designer clothes in the parking lot. Go home and do that, all right? <laughs> we don't want any, uh, any phone calls to the police here. In 2009, the Bank of America asked 1,000 people what they would do if they were given $1,000. Of those surveyed, 48% said they would put it in a general savings account. 27% said they'd pay off a credit card. 
12% said they'd put it towards their children's educational fund. 10% said they would use it for health care expenses. Not one person said they would share it with those in need. That tells you something about the world we live in. That tells you something about where our true master, or who our true master is. And I can tell you that in North America, although there's many who go by the name of Christian, the reality is really quite something different. I'm not going to be the one to judge, but I'm going to ask you to judge your own hearts today. Let the Spirit of God show you who your God is, who your master is. Time phoned, Time magazine phoned 770 self-reporting Christians across the United States and asked them to agree or disagree with the following statements. Listen to this. God wants people to be financially prosperous. 61% agreed, 26% disagreed. Jesus was not rich, and we should follow his example. 44% disagreed with that statement. In other words, don't follow Jesus' example. If you give away money to God, he will bless you with more money. 63% disagreed with that, even though the Scripture says otherwise. Christians in the U.S. don't do enough for the poor. 43% disagreed. They thought we were doing just enough. Giving away 10% of your income is the minimum God expects. 57% disagreed with that. Only 39% agreed. Who's your master today? Is it Jesus? Are you partnering with God in furthering the kingdom, his kingdom here on this earth? That's why we take up offerings. That's why we have a giving center. It's not because we're trying to be greedy. It's because we're trying to further the kingdom of God. That's, by the way, what Abraham was all about. He was there to be God's instrument in establishing his kingdom. Starting in the Old Testament. Who's your true master today? If your master is Jesus and you put him first in all things and all ways, then you're well on your way to being prepared for Christ's return. Christ's return should hold no fear for you. I can remember sitting in the old Calvary Temple... It's demolished now. That tells you how old I am. The old Calvary Temple sitting up on the balcony, in the balcony on, the, on Pastor Barber's left-hand side. And he preached that sermon. If the trumpet should sound tonight and Jesus were to return, would you be ready? And I remember sitting there shaking in my boots, just hoping, crossing my fingers. I'd, I'd gone forward to receive Christ. I don't know how many times. I had, <laughs> I had been filled with the Holy Spirit. Still, I wasn't sure. Well, I can tell you today, folks, how you can be sure. I get phone calls all the time, people saying, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm ready. Well, here, I'm telling you how you're going to be ready. Make sure you remember Lot's wife and the lessons you learned from her. Make sure that your true home is not of this world. Make sure that your true master is Jesus and not the God mammon of this world. And the third thing is remember your true values. What are your true values? Well, listen to this. Your values should not be the same as the values of those who live in this world. In John 17, 15 to 16, Jesus prays this prayer for the believers. He says, my prayer is not that you take the believers, the new believers, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Listen, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. You are living in this world, but you are not to be of it. Your values need to be different from the people who do not know Christ. It's no wonder we're so ineffective in winning people to Jesus because the unbeliever looks at us and sees, 
No difference. Any difference he does or she does see is probably maybe judgmentalism, condemnation. But folks, how many know that there's so much more to the Christian faith? In fact, we're not even called to to judge or condemn, are we? We're called to love. And the only way you're going to do that effectively, my friends, is if you have the values of Christ. Now, the hardest thing on earth to do is to keep yourselves attuned to the values of the Scriptures. And by the way, you'll never know the values of the Scriptures if you don't read the Scriptures. You'll never know the values of the Scriptures if you don't know your true master. Now, listen to me. The greatest responsibility of every parent is to make sure they pass on to their children their biblical values. That's your greatest responsibility. If your kids leave your home not knowing how to live or how to think or what to do or what not to do, then you have failed as a parent, and you will answer to God for that. Thanks a lot, Pastor. That's just what I needed. I'm not, look, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to put a heavy on you. I'm trying to tell you your responsibility and my responsibility. It's to make sure that you're living according to the values of the Scripture. When I was a child, I remember... Uh, we'd go shopping and, and uh, sometimes go to Kmart, and there would be um, people wearing polka dots. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Ladies with kerchiefs on with polka dots and skirts. With, anybody know what I'm talking about? Say it. Yeah? They're called hutterites. And I remember saying to my mother, who are they? With the black suspenders the hat, the big beard, the stout, polka-dotted ladies. Who are they? And my mother, not really knowing much, and most people didn't know much about who they are or what they were, just simply said, they're a cult. <laughs> well, guess what? They're, they're not a cult. In fact, it's called the colony. They're um, there's Amish colonies in the States. There's Hutterite colonies here in Canada. There's Mennonite colonies. What are these colonies about? I'll tell you what they're about. They're a group of people who say, we don't want to forget our values. And we're separating ourselves from the world so that we can hang on to our biblical values. Now, I'm not suggesting that this church, as of today, begin a new colony. I haven't bought... I haven't bought 600 acres just north of the city and asking you all to come and join me there. I'm not doing that. I'm not saying that. In fact, Jesus didn't even say to do that. What Jesus said to do is to make sure that while you're living in the world, you don't become of it, that you remain separate, that you remain different, that it's obvious to people who you are. Now, does everybody remember the great WWJD fad? Everybody remember that? Everybody had bracelets, WWJD in a t-shirt, WWJD in a bumper sticker, WWJD. It was everywhere, WWJD. And the, and the media picked up on it, and they started mocking it and laughing at it. And it really didn't make a great impact on our culture. And I'll tell you why. It's because people talked about it, but they didn't live it. And it, became, it really degenerated into silliness. What would Jesus drive? WWJD, what would Jesus do? It became WWJD, what would Jesus drive? And then it was, what would Jesus eat? And where would Jesus shop? And it just became silliness. The reason it became silliness, friends, is because Christians were not living according to the Scripture. 
They weren't living according to the values found in the Bible. Now, I want to just remind everybody here today. Mrs. Lot would have learned the values of Abraham. But because it had been so long since she had looked at or considered those values, she forgot them. And Sodom became more attractive to her than her master. She forgot that her husband, Mr. Lot, left the home of his birth and embraced the faith of his uncle. She forgot all that. And I want to remind you this morning, really quickly, what Abraham's values are and what your values and my values need to be. Do you understand what I mean by values? It's what we believe. It's, values rep- represent or reflects the way we live according to what we believe. And so here's the thing we discover about Abraham. He valued a faith in God that meant that he would daily yield to God, doing whatever God wanted him to do. And would you do that? This is the, this is the values of Abraham. God spoke to Abraham, and Abraham did it. God said to Abraham, Abraham, leave your homeland and pack up, and I want you to go. And Abraham says, where am I going? And God says, I'll tell you later. And so God says, Abraham, Abraham says to God, are you sure? You're sure that you want me to pack everything up and you want me to go tell my wife? How am I going to explain this to my wife? You want me to pack up, leave everything and just go? And God says, yeah. Now here's the thing. Because of Abraham's great faith, God blessed him. And the Bible says that God attributed his faith as righteousness. He treated it to him as righteousness. My friends, that is the beginning of righteousness, that you believe God and do what he says. Anything short of that is not faith, and it's not righteousness. Abraham's first value, faith in God. The second value is to live for him and not for self, to do whatever he says. And so here's the thing, my friends. God comes along and says to Lot, get out of the, get out of the city, and Lot does it. Says to, says to Lot's wife, Mrs. Lot, get out of the city. And what does she do? She says, well, maybe. How many know today that maybe is the same as no? When it comes to a walk with God, there is no maybe. It's either you're going to serve him or you're not going to serve him. And Mrs. Lot says, no, I'm not sure about this. She turns around and she says, well, maybe I'll go back. Even as the sulfur begins to fly and that city is destroyed. Abraham's value, values a faith in God that yields to God daily and says, God, what do you want me to do? You know, this is what true and exciting Christianity is, by the way. When's the last God, time God spoke to you and poured into your heart? When's the last time God prompted your heart to do something and you responded in faith and you did it and you thought, man, I, I don't know what people are going to think of me, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's how, that's how Abraham lived every day. Now, yeah, he had his slip-ups. It's, there's no doubt about that. But it's what he valued. It's what he put first more than anything. Abraham lived for God and not for himself. Oh, you know, we live, we live in a culture, in a society that says don't live for anybody but yourself. Put yourself first. Look out for number one. Abraham's value was to separate himself from the world. Ezekiel twenty forty one says this, I will accept you as a fragrant incense when I bring you out from among the nations and gather you from the countries where you have been scattered. Listen to this. And I will show myself holy among you in the sight of the nations. That's what God wanted to do with Abraham. He wanted to establish Abraham as a light for the world. 
through which the truth would come to this broken and hurting world. If you remember, if you remember Lot's wife, as Jesus tells you to do, if you remember Lot's wife and do remember where your true home is and where your true master and your true values are, I can assure you today that you have nothing to worry about, that you'll be prepared for Christ's return. And should Christ return today, I can assure you you'll be ready to meet your master. You'll be ready to be caught up with him in the air. We have a video clip. Let's show that video clip right now. <laughs> 